0: Welcome into to Thimbleberry U. I am John Jagge, joined again by Amy Wallace from Thimbleberry Financial. Amy, always good to be with you.
1: Jag, it's always great to talk to you.
0: So a little peek behind the curtain here for our audience. Amy and I always connect offline before we record to discuss the topic of today's show and go over what we're going to cover. There are some topics where I feel like I've got a really good handle on the conversation and the idea. And there are some topics where it's all Greek to me and I have a hard time getting my head around it. And that's where we are with today's topic we're talking about. Uh, tracking basis on a residence. So Amy, I need you to dumb it down for me and really just explain what this is on a basic level to get started.
1: Absolutely. So what we are really talking about is how much have you paid or invested in your house? Okay. Okay. So this is about really any property, but I think we're focused more on the residence today. So simplest terms, as I just said, it's the amount paid for a property.
0: The value of it when you
1: buy it. Yes. Okay. It becomes, though, a little bit more complex because there can become what is called an adjusted basis. So the adjusted basis is taking the original investment in the property, adding in the cost of major improvements, and then subtracting out... Items like depreciation, if this property has been depreciated in any way, or casualty and theft losses, okay, if there were ever claims for those things.
0: Okay, so I buy a house for $200,000, and I then add a bathroom, and that's $35,000, but I've had stuff in the house depreciate $10,000, so now we're at two twenty five.
1: dollars well, Yes and no. So your two hundred thousand dollar purchase price plus the thirty five thousand dollar investment, that would put the basis at two hundred thirty five thousand dollars. The depreciation. It's not just that. Oh, things there's wear and tear. It's depreciation that you're actually capturing on your tax return.
0: Okay, that's an important point. I'm glad I asked that question. Yes. By your face, I was. uh, Should I have not asked that? But I'm glad (laughs) we covered it.
1: No, (laughs) it's a great question, but. Um, yes, depreciation is technically the depreciation captured on a tax return. Good to know. All right, so the reason though that we're talking about this is knowing and tracking basis on someone's home especially is not something anybody wants to do. I yeah. get that. <laughs> but why it is important is because it impacts the taxes due when the property sells. Okay, that makes sense. So it is similar to tracking basis on an investment in a brokerage account. But luckily, since 2012, that's done by the custodian. So individuals don't really need to think about it much. And what we find is many times people aren't tracking basis on their property and it becomes an issue later on when they do go to sell.
0: Okay. So who does need to track basis and what's included in that uh, tracking?
1: Yeah, well, I'm about to hear a whole bunch of groans uh, virtually (laughs) from all of our future listeners, and I'm going to actually argue pretty much any property owner. And I get it. It's a pain or it can be, depending on what kind of remodeling and such you may have done. So let me give you the background and a few scenarios about why this should be done along the way. Okay. so on a primary residence. Owners are not taxed on the gains. There's an exclusion for this primary residence. For a single homeowner, it's $250,000. And for a couple, it's $500,000. Okay. So that means that when the house is sold, if there are gains on the property and you're single, $250,000 of gains are given to you by the federal government tax-free. If you're in a couple, $500,000 is given tax free.
0: Okay, let's give some specific number examples to illustrate that.
1: Yeah, so let's say you buy a house for $300,000 and you're single and you sell it for $500,000. So that's a gain of $200,000. Mm-hmm. You're not going to owe any tax on the sale of that primary residence. Weigh
0: the way the tax is up to 250 single and 500 married. Okay.
1: Yes. But if you're single and you sell it for $600,000, you're going to have the $600,000 minus your $300,000 basis. We're going to assume that purchase price is the basis in this case, which leaves us gains of $300,000. And then we get to subtract the $250,000 exclusion for capital gains for primary residence. So now you've got $50,000 in gains that tax will be owed on. Okay.
0: Okay. And that can be just an increase in the value of the property. It doesn't mean you have, to have done any capital improvements on it, right? With the current real estate Correct. market skyrocketing all over the place right now?
1: Yep. This is actually amazing because in Portland, in 2020, the median home price, according to bestplaces.net, was $344,200. Okay. But in April 2022, the median sold price was $565,000, according to realtor.com.
0: So quick math, that's a difference of...
1: $220,000 roughly. Okay. And so just, you know, in those two years, that basically eliminates that tax exclusion, that capital gains exclusion for a single homeowner.
0: It's up most of that 250 fifty you're allowed. Okay.
1: There are some other scenarios we should consider. So one would be when someone stays in the home longer than they expected to, right? With interest rates going up, this is A possibility Mm -hmm. that people might stay longer because it doesn't look as appealing to move and have a new mortgage. Another scenario would be when remodeling. This could happen all at once or if it happens in stages. And finding receipts after the fact can be really hard. And to prove to the IRS that you have (laughs) this basis, right, that you put this money into it, you're going to need to have your receipts.
0: Document, document, document. That doesn't mean stack it all in a shoebox somewhere.
1: It does not. Although I will say that my husband and I, when we're remodeling, we actually have a drawer in a built-in that is our designated home receipt
0: drawer. Okay, so keep it somewhere that you'll be be able to know where it is when you need it.
1: Yes, and then we can go through that drawer periodically if we need or want to, and we don't want to either. So I I feel for our listeners (laughs) on this. Uh, But that just becomes the easy place. Any receipts... Related to changing the basis in the home will go in that drawer. So here's the other thing about remodeling. What I just described is DIY work that we're doing, the do-it-yourself work. You may have a contractor that you actually give them the full budget and they're paying all the bills, or it may be somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. The third scenario uh, isn't one we really want to think about, but it does happen. And that's when a spouse passes. Yeah. Yeah. So when a spouse passes, the surviving spouse has two years from the deceased date of death to sell their house and still use the $500,000 exemption.
0: Okay. So you still can claim that you can still use that $500,000 for two years. And then if you don't, by the end of that two-year period, you're then legally considered single and you only get the two fifty.
1: dollars Yes. But imagine in that scenario, the following... The deceased is the one that handled all financial matters, Mm. or almost all, which means maybe dealing with contractors, keeping track of receipts, maybe had things in their email. And let's also think about that there has been extensive remodeling over time. And now you've got a surviving spouse that isn't the one used to handling these items. Um, They've got a whole new life that they're adjusting to. Yeah, whole new way of being, and they're grieving.
0: Right. You're talking about that first two years. Absolutely.
1: That's a lot. And to have to pull that together from a tax perspective to make sure that they can move forward accordingly and not pay more in tax than they need to, that's a big deal.
0: It reminds me, because as I've mentioned on this podcast before, my wife handles most of the finances in the house. It's a reminder to me to make sure that I'm in the loop and I at least know where everything is in case of the unthinkable, that you always want to make sure that both spouses have access to the information uh, that they need. Let's change the topics a little bit here, Amy. We talked about capital improvements to the house. What exactly does the IRS consider a capital improvement? What counts?
1: The IRS defines a capital improvement as being durable or permanent in nature. It must endure for more than one year. So therefore, a repair isn't, you know, you you have a leak in the roof. Fixing that leak is not a capital improvement, nor are buying appliances generally. Now, there are some built in appliances, so that's that can be different. So really, we're talking about things like bathroom and kitchen upgrades, replacing a roof, replacing windows, replacing siding. Um, maybe building an outbuilding such as a shed or installing an in-ground swimming pool. All of those types of things count. Okay. Um, Renovations to keep a home in good condition that do not add value don't count. Oh, okay. Okay, so painting my entire 1940s house that had 28 walls of wallpaper (laughs) (laughs) that was all from the early 1960s or before would count. OK, but the recent repainting of my daughter's bedroom or replacing trim, it's not counting.
0: It's got to be something significant and basically structural almost at that point. Correct. OK, so let's uh, again, just to illustrate this for our listeners and again, full disclosure, it's a podcast, so our listeners aren't staring at the numbers like we are. But give us a quick example with some quick and dirty numbers is how this would play out.
1: Yeah, here's one for a couple. So the home is purchased for $650,000. So that's our basis. Mm -hmm. Um, Sale price eight years later, let's say, is $1.3 million. Doubled, okay. Okay, so without tracking the basis, there's a gain of $650,000. But we'd get to subtract out that capital gains exclusion of $500,000. So now this couple is going to pay... Tax in the form of capital gains on one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay. So, and let's keep in mind, capital gains rates are not ordinary income; they're actually a preferential tax rate. But still, if we can avoid paying the tax by just keeping track of basis, that's probably worthwhile.
0: Okay. So, in the first example, six hundred fifty thousand dollars is what you paid for the house. You sold it for a million three, so you gained six fifty. Subtract the five hundred cap. You've got one hundred fifty thousand. You're looking at in capital gains. What if we start looking at including the improvements? How do those numbers change?
1: Yeah. So let's assume that there is a bit of remodeling that's happened. Some's done upon purchase, and maybe this is more details than we need, but I want to make it a potential real-life example. So $150,000 is put into the house for new floors and upgraded bathrooms, painting throughout. Okay? Mm -hmm. And we're going to assume that is all qualified capital improvements Okay, in the way it's all happening right up front. So later on, maybe the next year they add some new decks at twenty thousand. Uh, paint the exterior of the house. Obviously, that is a necessary improvement. Uh, twenty thousand. New windows later on at thirty thousand, and so over those eight years we get a total of two hundred twenty thousand dollars in improvements. Okay. So with that, the $650,000 original basis becomes $870,000 of adjusted basis. Okay. So the $650,000 plus the $220,000 in improvements. Got it. So now the gains when this couple sells are $430,000, which is under the $500,000 exemption. Okay. So, Jag, to summarize this, In both examples, we we sell a house for $1.3 million Mm -hmm. that we originally bought for $650,000. When we didn't include improvements, the couple in selling is going to pay tax, capital gains tax, on $150,000. In the second example, by including the cost of of capital improvements, the couple now falls under the $500,000 exemption. So they will no longer pay tax.
0: Okay. And again, we're going to put these numbers in our show notes. If you're driving and listening, having a hard time with all these numbers, you can actually look at it in our show notes when you're safe to do so. Well, as we wrap up here, Amy, give me some tips for best practice for keeping track of all this stuff, because you've just illustrated how important it is to keep track.
1: Yeah, um, I wish I had something that, again, isn't going to make our listeners groan on this one, but (laughs) old-fashioned spreadsheet with receipts. And what I'd suggest is doing it as part of your annual tax return collection.
0: So track it every year as opposed to once after living in a house for 20 years and trying to get it all together once. That sounds a lot more manageable.
1: And then keep it with your tax returns.
0: All in one place?
1: All in one place. Um, It was actually my CPA that when we were doing a lot of remodeling said, hey, we need to start tracking basis on your house as you're doing this remodeling in that first year. And Uh, It's just a great, easy way to do it. We're pulling that together. Um, There's a little bit of accountability there and it works out well.
0: You have given me a better understanding than I had 15 minutes ago because I told you at the beginning, this is a hard topic for me, but I feel a lot better about it now as I always do after talking to you, Amy. And I know our listeners will feel better after talking to you and the team at Doubleberry Financial on anything related to their personal finance or retirement planning, anything along those lines. If they want to come talk to you and your team, best ways to find you.
1: Yes, they can reach us online at thimbleberryfinancial.com or give us a call at 503-610-6510.
0: Sounds good, Amy. We'll talk again in a couple weeks. Sounds great. Registered representative, securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisor representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Thimbleberry Financial are not affiliated.